0: Welcome to this week's energy show. Now, the topic of today's show is direct air capture of CO2. And the question is, is it a panacea or a Pandora's box? Now, with direct air capture of CO2, it's an obvious solution to dangerously high levels of CO2 in the atmosphere, which causes global warming. So if we have so much CO2 in the atmosphere, let's just take it out of the atmosphere. So let's kind of figure out, drill down into the details of that. So currently there's about 420 parts per million of CO2 molecules in the air. Now, we need to get that down to below 300 parts per million because that was the concentration at about the start of the industrial age. So basically, mankind, because we're burning fossil fuels, it wasn't wood. It was mostly coal and oil and gas and things like that. We increased the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere from, I think it was like 280 to over 400. And it just keeps going up and up and up. So What's involved in getting it down to 300 parts per million or PPM? Well, 300 PPM is the same as 0.03%. What's that mean? Well, let's say you had a jar of 3,000 green M&Ms and there was one brown M&M in there. You got to take it out. Um, And you're going to have to do that a gazillion times. It's like a needle in a haystack. It's not easy to do. That's why it's expensive. So the technology used for direct air capture, is very similar to what we've been using to remove CO2 and other bad things from power plant exhaust streams. So when you're burning a coal plant, burning coal in a plant, the exhaust from that coal plant is 12% CO2. Now, natural gas is a lot cleaner. Natural gas exhausts are about 3% CO2, and it's all kind of based on the chemical composition of the coal versus the natural gas, which is methane. Now, the challenge is CO2 in the air is incredibly dilute, 420 parts per million, whereas the CO2 in combustion exhaust, 3% for for methane, 12% for coal, way, way, way higher, 100 times less CO2 in air than you have in the exhaust from a fossil fuel system. So we have the technology to do direct air capture, but it's very expensive. It's expensive in two ways. It's expensive in terms of the equipment, the capital cost, building it, land, everything else associated with that. And it's also really expensive in terms of the energy to run that equipment. And you'll understand why when we kind of dive into what the technology is between behind direct air capture. So there's two basic methods to remove the CO2 from air. Now, one way is liquid capture of CO2. And the second way is solid capture of CO2. They both have advantages and disadvantages. So with these liquid systems, and that's what's mostly used for power plants and things like that, you pass the air through a solvent through a liquid which removes the CO2. And the way it removes the CO2 is a solvent's a reactive liquid and it grabs the CO2 molecules in the air. Not every single one, but you know, it's many of them that are going by. And it binds those molecules into a stable solid. So the most common solvent is lye, sodium hydroxide in water. That's the most common solvent. And the stable solid that results, we're not talking about anything really complicated, it's soda ash, it's commonly called soda ash. It's basically sodium carbonate. It's a white powder and it precipitates out. So you get this white powder floating to the bottom and and that's the sodium carbonate and that's what the CO2 is bound into. Then in this liquid system process, you have to reintegrate the chemicals back into the process by applying very high temperature heat while returning the rest of the air to the environment. And this is very high temperature, 900 degrees C, and pretty much the only way you can get to that really high temperature in a cost-effective way is by burning fossil fuels. Kind of ironic, right? We want to take the CO2 out of the air from burning fossil fuels, in order to do that, we've got to burn more fossil fuels. That's the, the main dilemma with CO2 removal from the air. We'll get into that more. The other technology is a solid direct air capture technology, and it uses a solid material called a sorbent, it's kind of like from the word absorbent. That sorbent filters out the CO2, it chemically binds it into the solid. And when these filters are then heated and placed under a vacuum, they release the concentrated CO2, which is then captured for storage or for use. So basically, you can regenerate these sorbent filters. And that heating process doesn't require 900 degrees, it requires only about 100 degrees of boiling water. So submarines use these CO2 scrubbers to recycle air. It's not incredibly different when you have those little packets of powder and granules that are used to absorb moisture in packaging and you heat it up and the moisture goes out again. So that's basically the same process. All right, now both systems, both the liquid capture and the solid capture, capture the CO2 basically as a gas once the process is finished. And that CO2 gas, it's... Mostly pure CO2. It's then compressed so you can store it in a tank. You can liquefy it so it's it's even denser. And that compressed CO2 can be sent through pipelines so that you can use the CO2 for other purposes. We'll talk about in a sec. Now, when I kind of look at the whole direct air capture concept, there's two gotchas, there's two big problems. The first is where are you going to get all the energy for this complete process? And the second, Big challenge is what do you do with the gaseous CO2? What do you do after you capture that CO2? And both of these things really boil down to economics, but the real crux of the matter is on the energy source and what you do with the CO2. So direct air capture uses a lot of energy. It's a very inefficient process. You need energy to circulate the air through the solvent or the sorbent. You need energy to heat the end result, the precipitate or the solvent to release the CO2 as a gas. And then you have to compress and transport the CO2 later. Basically, it takes a lot of electricity for that air circulation and CO2 compression because you gotta do something with the CO2. You can't just leave it unconcentrated. And it uses a heck of a lot of heat to release the CO2 gas from the resulting precipitate. That's what comes out of the solvent. It's like little white crystals at the bottom. Or when you have to heat up that sorbent filter material to get the CO2 out. And the heat requirements, about 80% of the energy is for heat and 20% is electricity. Obviously you can gonna get the heat from fossil fuels or waste heat and the electricity is gonna come from, you know, ideally renewable sources. That's where we're going with this. So regarding these energy requirements, when you look at it, it's a complete dead end to use fossil fuels to take the CO2 out of the air, which came from fossil fuels. It kind of comes back at a very high level, the laws of thermodynamics. I'm s- certainly sounding a little geeky here, but it takes more energy to recapture the CO2 than is released when initially burning the fossil fuels. So at the end of the day, the CO2 in the atmosphere will go up more by burning fossil fuels to generate the energy to recapture the airborne CO2. It's like one step forward and two steps backwards. Now, if you use renewable sources, it's different. You can try and use cleaner energy. And yeah, I think if we used natural gas for this energy process to remove the CO2 that was created by coal, maybe you'll come out a little bit ahead, but it's still, there's much better ways to do this. So the best way to provide that energy we need to remove that CO2 is to use renewable energy sources such as solar and wind. The reality is though, Let's say you got all this extra capacity for solar and wind. Are you going to use it to take out the CO2 in the air? It's kind of a good idea. Or would you use that solar and wind and clean energy to reduce ongoing generation of fossil fuels that which create more CO2? It's much better to use whatever additional solar and wind capacity that we can create to offset current Fossil fuel power reduction. In other words, use that energy, stop burning fossil fuels instead of using that energy so that you can burn more fossil fuels because you're pulling out some CO2. You You're going backwards. All right. So the energy is a big, big problem. The second big problem is what do we do with all this CO2? Now, the biggest current use of CO2 is for enhanced oil recovery. Now, basically, we take the CO2 that's generated from other processes, it's compressed, it goes in pipelines, the oil industry uses it all the time, and then we inject that CO2 into wells and it forces out more oil. But then that oil is going to be burned, which is going to create even more CO2, and candidly, I have a very low degree of confidence that the CO2 that's injected into wells won't Burp back out into the atmosphere again. Once again, it's a dead end. There's all kinds of leakage from wells, methane leakage, etc. So that's why I just the concept of taking the CO2 and putting it underground. It's like sticking your head in the sand. It, maybe it solved the problem for five years, but 50 years from now, there's an earthquake or it just leaks out. The CO2 is going to go back into the atmosphere. Now, it's okay in my view. I think it's ideal to use that CO2 for long-term stable products. Like, put the CO2 into something that's not going to emit later. Concrete is a great example. It's a huge market. There are technologies out there that will use this waste CO2 from carbon capture, from all kinds of other processes, getting it out of flue gas and direct air capture, to create concrete. It's a great concept. The concept's at a very early stage. You have to realize that the concrete industry uses a tremendous amount of natural gas just for heat. But eventually, maybe you could start using this CO2 to create green concrete, and it can use up some of this extra CO2 production. The thing is that we've got so much CO2, we'll never be able to use it all for concrete manufacturing. Now, another most common idea is to use... The CO2 that we capture for beverages or to create synthetic fuels. Well, to me, it's like that's a dead loser on both beverages and synthetic fuels. Yeah, everybody's got carbonated soda, right? You put the, the CO2 into sweetened water and then you put it into a bottle. It's fine. You're using up that CO2. Beverage industry uses a lot of it. I mean, tons and tons, billions, millions of tons. But... What happens to that CO2? It goes right back into the atmosphere when the beverages are consumed. Once again, it's kind of like the the issue with uh, injecting CO2 into oil wells. It's the burp effect, but literally the burp effect. Now, you can use CO2 to create synthetic fuels, but what happens is once those synthetic fuels are burned, CO2 is coming out again. So once again, there's really no great applications for all that CO2 that we could possibly get from bringing the the carbon dioxide concentration in the earth's atmosphere from 420 down to 300 parts per million. All right. So a lot of these things kind of come back to what are the future costs? What are the economics of direct air capture? Well, there's been a lot of prototype systems or they're starting to ramp it up. A lot of demonstration projects, a lot of government money is going into this. A lot of companies have been started to kind of try and solve this problem. A great concept, but the technology is yet to be demonstrated at a large scale. And I think about other analogies, at least in the energy industry where there's something that might work, but it's just going to take a long time to perfect it and then scale it up. I mean, two very obvious one is hydrogen fusion I remember reading about hydrogen fusion when I was a little kid 50 years ago. It's still not even close to being cost-effective. Another one, which is closer to home and kind of much more obvious, is concentrating solar where you have these huge fields of mirrors and you concentrate, but it just didn't turn out to be nearly as cost-effective as photovoltaics. So when we're looking at the costs of direct air capture, the capture costs are estimated to be in the range, huge range. This is ridiculous. $100 per ton of CO2 to capture to a 1,000 tons of CO2. That's kind of like a worthless range. It's not until the cost gets down way below $100 a ton that it even starts to make sense. And the reason why there's so much variability, in addition to the fact that we've never really done this at large scale, is it depends on the technology you're using. It depends on the low or no carbon energy source. If you're using a no carbon energy source, such as wind or solar, it's probably going to be a little bit on the higher side, but then you're emitting, then it's perfectly clean. If you use a carbon energy source or a low carbon energy source, it's going to be cheaper to remove that CO2, but you're going to be kicking more out as you go. And then the other factor is just the scale of deployment. Going from a little laboratory system, to prototypes, to a large scale system, it's not until we can go to thousands and thousands of these large scale systems that we're really going to start seeing some costs come down. And that's kind of on the upfront costs, but it also depends when I kind of look at it, it depends on what your costs are to dispose permanently of the CO2. And I don't really come up with some great ways to do that. Or selling the CO2. So you can sell the CO2 to oil drilling companies because they're going to just put it into the ground, they may actually pay for it, but I don't think the CO2 is going to last very long. There's other applications sell to a beverage company. Maybe you can sell it for more money, but that CO2 is going to come right back out into the atmosphere again. So end of the day, without a doubt, direct air captures more costly per ton of CO2 removed compared to most of the mitigation approaches and natural climate solutions. So it's a very expensive way of taking CO2 out of the atmosphere. It's certainly more expensive than just not putting the CO2 into the atmosphere to begin with, because the atmosphere will have gradually cleaned it up from trees and things like that. So that's another path we'll talk about that in a sec. So when we look at the current pilot systems of these direct air capture, the current ones, the ones that are running now, $500 to $600 per ton of CO2. That's what they're basically seeing their economics at. Now, it's not clear to me what they're using as a power source at these plants. My view that should be completely renewable. And it's not clear to me what they're doing with the resulting CO2, whether they're selling it or how they're disposing it, burying it in a well or whatever. So, I think looking at this whole concept in general, selling the CO2 to fossil fuel companies so they can drill for more oil and gas doesn't make sense. And what does make sense is finding renewable sources, but it's going to be expensive. And you look at the cost for another way of doing this, letting nature do it. It's called reforestation, planting more trees. And I've talked about that also. I think that's a long shot. But removing CO2 by getting land and planting more trees is more on in the range of $50 a ton. Yeah. The problem with reforestation is we're in the humanity is in the process of deforesting land and it's very expensive to reforest it. People want more land, they want more places to f- to grow food, they want more places for cattle to grow, and planting more trees takes that land. So, kind of taking a step back, like why Why are we really even approaching this direct air capture process? Why are we taking this approach? Well, the fossil fuel companies are dying to find ways, whether economic or non-economic, whatever they would do to weigh, weigh their hands around, so that they can continue to burn fossil fuels. Now, the ideal from a fossil fuel company's perspective is say, all right, well, we're going to drill for fossil fuels. We're going to pump the oil out of the ground. We're going to burn the oil. And then we're going to capture all the CO2 so you don't have to worry about it. We're going to be able to capture that CO2 at a level that's going to make it still very profitable for us and the net negative on CO2, but profitable for us to drill for the oil and to take out the carbon. Those economics do not work. It's naive to continue to burn fossil fuels, with the expectation that someday direct air capture is going to be cost effective. Now, it's not to say that there's no chance at all for direct air capture. It makes sense for a couple of applications where we kind of really still do need to burn fossil fuels. So there are some applications where it still does make sense for us to have liquid fuels. For example, air travel, long distance trucking, things like that, where you want to have a tank of fuel. It's enough to get a plane across the country. It's enough to get... The trains, you know, halfway across the country, you can get you a know, huge tank of diesel fuel. That works. And it's much better than hydrogen, which we don't have yet, which we eventually will. And batteries don't work for those kind of applications. The batteries are just too heavy to drag around. It becomes an inefficient process. Now, the other place where this direct air capture makes sense is where we need process heat, industrial process heat. I mentioned manufacturing cement. We still need a lot of natural gas for manufacturing cement for making steel we still need to burn coal or natural gas a few other processes and there's going to be emissions from that so you know in these categories it would be good to be able to use direct air capture at the site so that we don't continue to pollute with co2 we can have our fossil fuels we can do the air travel we can do the long distance trucking we can make steel and cement and there's still going to be a net negative in terms of co2 generation now That's using direct air capture technology. You kind of compare that to the alternative you have with green hydrogen. And this is hydrogen that's created from water simply by electrolyzing the water with a renewable fuel. And you get that hydrogen. And the hydrogen is also a very good fuel for air travel, long-distance trucking, steel manufacturing, and cement. It can be used for those applications, not as conveniently and not as inexpensively as natural gas or oil, but perfectly clean. And you look at this on the life cycle, that's where green hydrogen, in my view, has a much better chance of success. And I I believe green hydrogen will be very successful instead of direct air capture. All right, here's where I come down on direct air capture. Definitely continue the R&D and initial deployments on these projects. Government support for this kind of R&D is necessary just like many other energy technologies, whether they've succeeded or failed. Kind of going back many, many years, we've been working on hydrogen fusion to generate electricity for 50, 60 years. We're still doing that research. It hasn't been able to scale up and, and really work, but maybe it will. And I think that we should continue to be pursuing things like direct air capture. Maybe it'll be some kind of breakthrough. But I'm not being hypocritical. Most importantly, until there's a breakthrough, I don't want us to continue to use the possible cost-effective success of direct air capture sometime in the future. And we're not talking about a few years from now. We're talking about 20 or 30 years from now when we're going to find out if this really scales up. I don't want to use that possibility as an excuse to keep burning fossil fuels now. Because many people think that the economics of direct air capture, even when it scales up, is not going to be as good as other solutions, such as just tons more renewables. It's definitely the best use for removing existing CO2 when we have to burn fossil fuels, but the goal here really is not to allow more CO2 emissions, and basically the best thing to do is stop burning fossil fuels altogether. Okay, that's all the time we have in this week's energy show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in, and if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.